in these moments that we bow to you, the creator of all, the one who sustains, the one who gives power. Lord, we thank you for who you are, the victories in our lives where we've seen you move and win. God, we can't wait till that day where we join in with the angels of heaven. Lord, we ask for your Holy Spirit to be in this place as we continue to seek you, to learn more about you. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. It's good to be back with you all. As uh, some of you know and have been uh, journeying with us, we had a couple of um, odd weeks probably from about the time that we had um, Easter, our Easter service, and, uh, which was an amazing experience. But we're kind of back in our, our routine and our rhythms. If you're a first-time visitor, um, we do something called Rhythms here at Warehouse. And um, we have information card in the back that we would love to connect you with and, and connect with you personally just to learn more about what we do. But this week, specifically, we are, are here um, it's our, our larger gathering, and we have been on a long journey, and we are in the, in the season of, of shifting uh, what we are discussing and what we're learning together as a community. We come here once a week to gather, to celebrate what Jesus has done, and maybe we've come here hurt or confused or lost and just looking for answers, and, and we come to church for many things, and we get excited about specific topics, and there are some things that we, you know, we come to, to learn about, and then there are other topics that don't really excite us, but are necessary, and, and, maybe, and maybe they do. But today I want to start with asking you a question, and, and maybe you've caught yourself saying this phrase, and maybe this phrase for you, um, you've experienced this. Maybe it's someone you've heard say this specific phrase, whether at work or, or um, in a situation, you've said this, what did I sign up for? Or this isn't what I signed up for. Maybe you've been in a situation, maybe, maybe it was your dream job. Everything lined up, your values, you believed in the mission of this organization. Your interview went really well. Everything that they were, they were saying the right things. As you know, when you go for an interview, you're also interviewing the people that you're going to work with. And everything lines up and it's all great. And you go through the orientation process and you're just so excited. Everything lines up and pays well. It's in the right part of where, where you want to live. Only to finish your orientation to get into your line of work and to realize that your boss isn't who they said they were. Maybe you're not working exactly what the role that you thought you would be. And you ask, or you tell yourself, this isn't what I signed up for. Or maybe it was a relationship that you've gotten yourself into. That man or that woman said they were someone. They told you all the right things, said the right words, and maybe you didn't commit to uh, a lifelong relationship with that individual, but 
as you continue to grow with this person, you realize they aren't who they said they were, and you say, this isn't what I signed up for. You see, there are many instances in our life where we get caught in these situations that we didn't really expect. The, out, the, the outcome isn't what we thought, so much so that we invest our time, our energy, a piece of us is invested in this organization or this person or this situation. And when things go south and, and they weren't as we expected, it can be catastrophic for our lives, depending on how much we've actually invested in this person, in this place, or in something. And you say, this isn't what I signed up for. I would guess that you could come up with a million different scenarios, situations in which you've either experienced this or you know of someone, and maybe you're here today and you're in that very situation and you really don't know how to get out. And the reason is because expectations weren't made clear to you or people weren't open and honest with you at the very beginning and so you were deceived. And you fell into a situation that really wasn't what you wanted. You see, there are many of us who we've grown up, and, and we maybe you grew up in the church, and you've been in, in a good atmosphere, in a good place, and, and you, maybe you're someone who just chooses to believe the good in people. When you meet them, you assume they're a good person. You go into a, an organization or a, a, a a restaurant, and you assume it's going to be a good experience. I can't tell you the number of people who have emailed me asking questions or, or message, asking about church, about what's the experience like, who are the people that are going. And more and more it's beginning to happen. And I believe in a world that is slowly shifting, falling apart, we are less inclined to see the good in people. We're less inclined to see the good in an organization. We find ourselves saying, hmm, what are they up to? Why are they approaching me? I don't know if I can trust this person. And a lot of that stems from personal experiences or things we see on TV. And maybe you've been hurt by a church, a community, a leader, and you put up your wall and your guard because you don't know if you can trust. You don't always see the good in someone. This is the reality of our world. This is where what we're living in, where things don't look like what they first seemed. We, we begin to see people's true colors even more than ever before. As leaders... If you're a leader, maybe you uh, are a manager at a job or director, uh, you lead a group of individuals and you're part of a, a hiring process. As leaders, you have expectations of the people that are going to work for you. And if you're part of a good organization, you will make those expectations crystal clear. Or if not, it can make a catastrophic mess. And, and you do that because you're investing in a person you're investing in a salary, you're investing health insurance, a lot of money goes into a person, and you want to make sure that you get the right person for the job, and so you make things as clear as possible because you want the most return from your investment. 
So a good organization will make those expectations clear. All of you in this room who've made a decision to follow Jesus have expectations. If you have one of these, you know, and maybe you've read what those expectations are. All throughout Scripture, there are things as followers of Jesus that we are called to live by. And when you made that decision, and and hopefully this was made clear to you, these expectations, when you made that decision, I'm only speaking to those who have made a decision to follow Jesus, I recognize that not everyone in this room maybe has done that, but those who have, this is what you said when you chose to follow Jesus. First, I am broken. I can't do this life on my own. I understand that there is a battle for my life at play. And I choose every day to die daily to the one who gave it all for me. The one who became a man who did the things that I cannot do. I accept a sacrifice. I die to myself so that Christ can live in me. And maybe not in those exact words you've said those statements, but that is essentially the expectation when you first begin to follow Jesus. And it's, very, it's made very clear in Scripture what that looks like. It's the manifestation of you becoming less so that Jesus can become more. It's the process of sanctification. If you were here last month, we talked about what that process actually looks like in detail of becoming more and more like Christ. And you see for many Christians out there, it seems that the conversation just ends there. I've decided to follow Jesus with no expectation, no accountability in their life, no discipleship by the ones around them. Because we don't want to face what it actually means to become more and more like Christ, to die to ourselves. Too many times we experience people who truly want to live a life with Jesus but don't know what that actually looks like, what it means for them, whether they're in their daily decisions, in their walk, in their dying daily, there's no tangible evidence spoken to them. What does it look like? What are the expectations of a follower of Jesus? Well, he was clear of what he expected of you and me as overseers of the gospel. You see, when you've made that decision to follow Jesus, you automatically become an overseer of the gospel. It is your duty, your responsibility to share your testimony, to make sure that you hold each other accountable. This word overseer is used in 1 Timothy 3, where we're going to spend some of our time An overseer, what is that? What does that actually really mean? Well, the description is one who is tasked with a work from God. Understand this isn't just those who have been called to church ministry work. It is anyone who's accepted Jesus as Savior, and in return, we're called to be witnesses and to live the gospel in everything that we do. That is the noble task of choosing to follow Jesus. That is the expectation 1 Timothy 3 gives us a pretty clear list of what isn't a leader, of things that we are to abstain from, of things that we are not supposed to do. 
as leaders and followers of Jesus were being developed in the early church, there was this opposing side of philosophers. And there was this up, this, this growing momentum of Christianity, of people who were following Jesus, who had heard the story. Paul had been doing a ton of work, and he writes this letter to Timothy specifically for the leaders in the church because now there's this, this group of philosophers who roam around the, the temple courts outside where people would sit and they would think out loud and they would try to make sense of this new reality. They knew about the, 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 the momentum and this growing group of, of Christians and they were just trying to make sense. Although they didn't believe all of that, they were trying to make sense of this world. And so you, people like you and me who were just walking the streets would hear this but then also hear the words from someone like Paul. And for some, they would make a decision to walk in both worlds, in the worlds of the philosophers and in the world of Jesus, in the world of becoming a Christian. It was convenient for them to toe the line and walk in both worlds. And Paul sees this and he says, things need to change. I don't like where this idea, this, this, this Christian movement is moving towards, so we need to be clear. So he writes this letter to Timothy and said, these are the expectations that I have that God has given me for the people of God. And there's this list of things that we are supposed to abstain from. And although these philosophers would make some sort of sense, others would be way off. And so it caused some confusion. It caused people to live in both worlds. Paul feels the need to get out and share this message, to put things back in order to finish the work that was given to him by Jesus. And Timothy, Timothy is known as Paul's spiritual son. So there's a, a good relationship here. And Paul knows that he can be really honest and brutal with Timothy, and he says, this is what you need to tell. This is, this is a message that I have. These are the expectations. In case they weren't made clear, we need to make sure that they're made clear now because there is a long future ahead, and there is a lot of work to be done, and if these expectations aren't made clear to new believers, to leaders, then they're going to ask themselves, this isn't what, or tell themselves, this isn't what I signed up for. Paul and Timothy were bold to call out what they saw. In a world that has shifted so quickly, it's become even more unpopular to be a Paul in our world, to call each other out, to go against the grain, to really not go with society. It's not the popular thing. But what then is our role as people to keep each other upright? That word just is for us to keep each other upright, to keep each other walking according to the way we were meant to walk, to live a life like Christ. What then is our obligation? What does it look like to hold your brother and your sister to these expectations? And more so, how honest are we when someone wants to give their life to Jesus? Or are we simply just trying to get them underwater? and count another member for the church? Or have we made those expectations clear? We, we, we bring people to church, and we've mentioned this before, we're really big on discipleship, journeying with one another. We, 
That's why we do table talk. That's why we do service opportunities and we create moments of community so that we can journey so that these conversations can happen. But how many times have we asked someone and brought them to church and they've given their life to Jesus and we've simply just forgotten about them? Not made those expectations clear and not lived up to the own expectations as a believer to journey with that person. So where does this command come from? The command to disciple, to walk with, to be like Jesus. This isn't the first time that we see this idea of upholding standards or expectations. All the way back in the book of Genesis, this was God's plan. When he created man and he created woman, we were called to be image bearers. To reflect him in everything that we do. Back in Eden, the design for humanity to create future was to be like God. And obviously the plan went sideways, but the original intention was for us to be image bearers. To reflect him in everything that we do. And that has a lot. There's a lot to unpack there. But there are a few principles that we can simply point to when we talk about being made in the image and being an image bearer of God. If I were to go around in the room and ask, there would be some very serious issues, concerns. If I were to ask, what can I pray for you today? How can I pray for you today? Many of you would have things ready to go. I need this, I need that. There's something going on in my life. Someone passed away. There's financial trouble, heartache. I'm confused. I have doubts. All these things would probably start firing off in your head. And maybe you're thinking of what those, those are. Maybe it's praying for someone, a prayer of intercession. One day I'll have to play you one of my many recordings that I have of Adeline, my oldest. She's five. I have a five-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old. I still don't sleep thought I would be by the time we hit one and a half, but I'm hoping for two, that we'll be able to have a, a full night's rest. But one of these days, I'll have to play you a couple of the recordings, but I truly believe that children were meant to teach parents a thing or two. And not a day goes by that I don't learn something new about my child, or she doesn't tell me, or show me something about who God is. Children challenge us spiritually and teach us lessons that we wouldn't otherwise hear or learn. But these recordings, so I'm, I usually am the one that puts Adeline to sleep, and we have we kind of go back and forth in taking turns praying. When she was younger, I always did it, and then she started to do it herself. When she's really tired, she'll say, let, let me pray, and it's like a super fast prayer. But she makes sure to get everything in that she needs to. And, and no one ever taught her how to pray. I mean, she would hear me, so there's, there's some discipling happening there. And she would hear us pray. But if there's people in this room who have gotten a message from me, an audio clip of her praying specifically for you. You see, she prays. She, she's so attentive. And she'll, she'll hear about a situation if someone's hurt, if someone's sick, if someone's in the hospital. 
If someone's traveling, she'll pray for that specific person so that they get there safely. She'll always pray for someone. And I've saved these recordings so that when she gets older, I can play them and cry myself to sleep because she's not a little child anymore and I've lost my little girl. So they're stored, they're in the cloud, they're secure forever, I have them. But at the very end of all of her prayers, she always says this, and help me to be more like you. She asked for the character of God. She asked to be more like Jesus. And I thought about that. And so, so many times, we pray for others. We ask for God's power, for his wisdom, for his mercy. And those are all the things that we love, that we know that we need. We, we see those things as things that add to who we are. I mean, who doesn't want power, wisdom, and wealth that comes from God? We ask for those things because we know that those things add to who we are. If there was a, a video game rating of, of humanity, we would want power, wisdom, wealth. And we ask God for those things when we're struggling financially, when we're in need of strength because of a situation that we just can't bear anymore, we ask for his power. And rightly so, Scripture tells us that we can ask for those things. It's easy to ask for power and for wisdom, but rarely do we ask for his character because we know what that implies. You see, we view character when we, when we think of asking for God's character, putting him on the things of who he is. We know that that's going to take away some things that we like, some things that really are hard to face. In a sense, we see asking God's character as taking away from who we are. So many times I've caught myself asking for God's wisdom and power, but not always asking at the end of my prayers and help me to be more like you because we know what that means. It's the harder road. It's the wrestling. It's facing the reality of who we are, our brokenness, when I said earlier, when we made the decision to follow Jesus, it's, a re it's recognizing that we are broken and we are in need of saving. Power and wisdom adds to us. The character of God, it takes away, but it takes away the things that God knows bring us down. We view God, God's character as something that's very difficult to face. We know that we can't live up to who he is, but that is the process of being sanctified, dying to ourselves daily so that Jesus can live in us. 1 Timothy 3 is one of the many different passages that revolve around the character of God manifested and made visible by Jesus. If we look at how Jesus lived and we compare it to how we're called to live, we see that Jesus lived by these things. He did what we couldn't. That was the plan after the fall. Jesus was the plan, the one who could fulfill the demands of Scripture. And so we died to that knowing that we can never, but Jesus can. 
You see, when we make that invitation to become more like Jesus, in fact, we rid ourselves of things only to make room for the things that God wants to add to our lives. The things that will make ourselves fulfilled, that will add to our happiness, our hope, and our healing. That could look like committing to one person or leaving a toxic relationship, abstaining from addiction, putting yourself in a position that allows you to do so, facing the reality that sometimes you don't want to face. As leaders being called by God, this is our duty, is to receive his character. Humility is not the most exciting topic to talk about. You never see, well, you do see people of talking about, God gave me power to do this. God gave me strength. I have the wisdom now to make this decision. You never see anyone walking around as, I'm the most humble person there is. I'm, I'm the best at humility. When, when, we, when we come to church, we're looking for answers through Scripture, and we hope that someone who's up here can, through Scripture, tell us what, how we can become our best self. How can we feel good about where we're at in our life? And maybe we can justify our current situation and take what we want. But rarely do we look forward to a talk about humility when in fact the call to become like God, the call to be an image bearer, the call to live a life like Jesus first requires us to be humble, to live a life of humility, to acknowledge that we aren't all that we think that we are. We've tried and we've fallen. It isn't the most exciting thing, but it is the one thing that will maximize our potential. Falling at the throne of grace, asking for God's favor and for his love to overwhelm you, to break away the things that you know you're struggling with, the things that you know you're not good at, the things that you struggle with, with anger, selfishness, whatever that looks like for you, the things that you've pushed aside Putting on humility is acknowledging those things that be taken away so that God can add more to our lives. 2 Timothy chapter 4, if you want to read that later, it takes it one step further, but in summarizing it, the Bible, it's a relationship with Jesus and it demands complete buy-in. You see, God gave his all and in return he asked us to do the same, not a part of us, not a piece of who we are, but he wants all of us. But this is what we've made it to be. We've taken the truths that suit us, and we've left behind the ones that don't. Here in this time in history, the philosophers like I was talking about, and, and the Christian movement, there was this, this way of being able to appease one part of who people were and, and another and allow themselves to live in both worlds and how many times does that apply to us today? We've been in this situation. I have been in this situation. 
And it may not look like a group of philosophers wandering around and hearing what they have to say and, oh, I like that idea and that makes sense and that suits my current lifestyle, so I'm going to apply that principle to my life. But there are situations that allow us to have what we think is peace with our current situation. What are some of those truths that you know that you've avoided, that you've pushed to the side, that you haven't really addressed face to face? Have you ever been with someone at a restaurant and they ask for something on the menu, but they like take away everything that it comes with? Like a BLT, and they say no bacon, lettuce, and tomatoes. It's like, so you just want the bread? Of course, no bacon. We don't want that, right? Just lettuce and tomato. Or, or maybe you've been that person, and, and or you're you're sitting with that individual. You're like, oh my goodness, they're just asking for, like, hardly anything. Why don't you just, you know, order a piece of bread? I went with someone who actually ordered a friend of mine who actually made that specific order, and just got a piece of bread with mayonnaise on it. Weirdest thing. Or maybe you're like Pastor Justin. He didn't know I was going to call him out, but he didn't do the BLT thing. But he thinks cilantro tastes like soap. Is there anyone else here who thinks cilantro tastes like soap? Is he the only one? Because I'm pretty... Oh, there's a couple more. All right, there's some in the back. This is a new thing. I did not know that people thought cilantro tastes like soap. In fact, one of his first meals here when he came um, to even interview was like, I think it was tacos and there was... I think we had cilantro and he was being kind but there's people who don't ask for cilantro but they go to a Mexican restaurant I mean why would you go to a Mexican restaurant and not get cilantro we even went to a a restaurant if you were at church retreat there's a new restaurant in Camp Calacqua near near there it's called cilantro um, and somehow I convinced Justin to go uh, and I think your food actually did, ha- did have some even though you asked for for no cilantro but you know I think We've treated our walk with God, our spirituality, like a menu where we say, you know, I I like the idea of power and wisdom and and healing and, and restoration, but I don't like the part that I have to address. The things that are really going to make me struggle and work for, let me do away with those. And so we've applied this principle to our life. We've even used the idea of a church service as a menu. I mean, it's easy to do it here at our church. You have three different services with three different experiences. If you don't like one, go to another one. And so we've applied that to our spiritual life. If I don't like this, I'll just go somewhere else or I'll just push it to the side. If it makes me uncomfortable, if I have to change who I really am, if I I can't be that that person of, of selfishness or or if I can't exercise my anger in a sinful way, then I don't want to deal with it. So we sit up on these topics that we know that cater to who we are. Taking it one step further, we put on Jesus one day a week on Sabbath morning, but then Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we're somebody else. But as long as we can feel good, This one day, it appeases us and we can continue living life when in fact, Jesus makes his expectations clear of what it means to walk with him, to be made whole. 
It's a struggle. It's a journey. It is a slow transformation. The expectations are very clear. And although 1 Timothy talks to leaders, you may think, well, I'm, I'm not a leader, so this really doesn't apply to me. And I would challenge you on that because I believe everyone who has made a decision to follow Jesus is an overseer, has a responsibility, has a duty to lead in their specific role and capacity. But even if you were to say, I'm not a leader, this doesn't apply to me, if you were to strip away that address at the beginning of this book, and you looked at simply the things that we're called to live by, you would see that they would look no different than what we're called to live by as Christians in Scripture. The expectations of a leader in the church are the same as a person who's given their life to Jesus, whether you see yourself as one or not. To put on Jesus, to put on his image, to be image bearers. If we believe that we're created in his image, then we must die to ourselves so that Christ can live in us, become less so that he can become more. As we draw nearer to God in devotion and prayer and our sacrifices of things, that draws further and further away from him, we begin to be more like him. But to do this requires humility. And it requires trust. Trust in a God who gave it all for you. Remember I said at the beginning, our world is becoming harder and harder to assume the good and intentions of others. And maybe that distrust or skepticism has flowed into your walk with Jesus because of some community or someone who let you down in the church and so you be, you've begun to deform a distrust. You've almost pushed church away. Maybe you're here today for the first time in a while because of the hurt that an individual, a person, a place, or a thing in Jesus did to you. Let me remind you, as Derek Webb puts it, he says, your first allegiance isn't to a man, a country, or an institution. It's to a king and a kingdom. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom, and all will be added. Seek me first. The prayer is to be more like Jesus. Jesus says, to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be like a child. And here I have a five-year-old saying those words, Jesus, help me to be more like you. Her response to a command from Jesus. To enter the kingdom, you must be like a child. And a child only wants to be more like Jesus. A life with Jesus isn't picking the theology or the principles in Scripture that fit our life in the right now. If that were the case, and we could pick and choose what we wanted, everybody would be doing it. But it wouldn't be transformative. The easy way is to do what 2 Timothy 4 warns us against, to pick and to choose. But it's in the shaping and the wrestling and the lowest of our lows that Jesus is seen the most clearly. It's in the question and the doubt that we seek his kingdom that all things are added. There will always be an easy way out to give up on the hard time in your life. You see, for many years... I made that choice. I didn't face my reality. Like, oh, there's an easier, 
easier way, an easier path. I'm going to choose that, and that's fine. But you'll never live up to what God wants you to be if you don't address the lows, the heartache, the things that he is wanting to rid you of. If the process of being made whole and new was easy, everybody would be doing it. Churches would be packed and full. Churches who were honest with the expectations that Jesus has for your life. It's not easy. It's challenging. It's hard. It's not always fun. But the end result is a life of eternity with him. With no more pain, no more suffering. That is the result of seeking first his kingdom. The expectation is that we die to ourselves so that Christ can live in us. And from there, the story goes on. See, Jesus could have easily picked the easier route and gone back to his throne, but he didn't. So much so that when he was going through his last few moments, he says, if there was any other way God, take this from me. He goes to his father. But the only path was the one. And so he remained faithful. And he endured the hurt and the pain of the world on his shoulders. Have you chosen to live a life that gives your entire being to him? Or are you still playing games? only giving him the parts that you think will please him and concealing the ones that you think that won't. God never demands anything from us that he hasn't done. He gave everything for you and for me, and in return he asks us for the same, but it starts with humility, acknowledging our brokenness. It starts with trust in a God, a God who saved world from destruction. The requirement of an eternal experience with our Father requires a sacrifice from all. So will that be your decision today? Will you trust in the one who gave it all? God never expects anything from you that he hasn't done. It starts with humility. It starts with trust. Will you take these next few moments in God and say in your prayer to him, God, I choose humility. God, help me to be more like you, whatever that looks like. Bring out the things that I need to address. Let's work through this. Will you walk in humility and will you walk in trust? Father God, Lord, we thank you for who you are for a God that even though we're broken, even though that we know we are messed up in need of saving, this is why you did what you did. And all you ask of us is to give our all to you. That is the expectation in scripture. It is made clear to leaders, to followers of you. And maybe, maybe someone today here hasn't made that decision. God, I pray that your spirit bug them. Give them the, the sense of uneasiness to know that they need to make a change that they could come to your arms. That there is hope, healing, and restoration if we come and approach you humbly, trusting that you gave it all. Lord, we thank you for who you are, for the promises, and in knowing that you sacrificed it all 
for a new chance at life, for you to do a new thing in our life. In Christ's name we pray.